Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and not joining me today is my friend, my colleague, my neighbor, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. And that's because this is a continuation of our interview series. Now, today's very special guest is actually a repeat guest. If you recall, back in December, we had the pleasure of interviewing young, talented, exceptional open-wheel racer, Mr. Matt Clark. Matt Clark has been continuing his journey towards IndyCar this year, competing in two championships, which we'll hear about shortly. And he made some time to join us again again this summer to give us an update on his progress. Now, we also had a slew of listener questions for him following the last podcast, so we thought this would be a perfect opportunity to dig into some of those. Now, before we jump into the interview, I have a personal request of everybody listening at home. One of the single most important things for us, aside from your ongoing support and commitment listening every week or whenever you can, is getting listener reviews and ratings on Spotify and getting listener reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts. These are incredibly important for the show and really go a long way to helping provide the show with the exposure and the boost that we hope to go for as we continue to grow this podcast and the associated community. So we're going to take a quick break, but Hopefully, if you have the opportunity, if you have a moment, we would really love and appreciate if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. Thanks. We'll be back in just a minute with Mr. Matt Clark. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Joining us now, friend of the show, Mr. Matt Clark. Now, Matt Clark, before I pass it over to you, a huge congratulations on your acceptance into Ontario Tech. My friend, I know it must be a busy time because you're still wrapping up your high school education. How the heck are things going? (laughs) <laughs> thank you thank you for having me on the show excited to be back and you're totally right like i mean i'm wrapping my high school i got two weeks left and i'm excited for the summer because i can focus on racing for a little bit but then i'm right back into school again so you know obviously uh, i feel very lucky that i'm going to be able to continue my education but you know it's hard to balance with racing and school at the same time right and mac it's not like you're going to be taking some basket weaving caliber courses in university you were enrolling in mechanical engineering that's a pretty dense heavy subject that's what everyone's saying they're like man you chose engineering you're crazy that's what i'm passionate about so i mean i'll find a way to make it work mac the last time that we chatted was december shortly before christmas or shortly after christmas you had had an incredibly busy successful 2020 campaign in the f1600 competition in ontario you had a near near championship you finished vice championship in the series that you competed in last year but maybe bring everybody up to date with how your 2022 calendars are going i mean i feel incredibly blessed like this year, so much has changed. The fact that I'm in two series is is crazy. I mean, when we last spoke, I didn't even really know what I was going to be doing in 2022. And now I'm racing um, essentially American Formula 3 and USF Junior. So I got a lot going on. Uh, I have two brand new teams. I love them. They're like family. And, you know, we've had a start, uh, strong start. I mean, five five races this year we've already won. So so we've uh, we've come out of the gate strong. And uh, between that and school, just, just looking to keep things, you know, on the right track, uh, really focused on, on this year as well as what the next will bring. Max, talk a little bit about the teams that you did choose to partner with this year. And what were some of the reasons why you felt that they were a great fit for you? It's It's all about the deals, right? Uh, racing drivers it's all about the deal it's all about uh the, you know the contract negotiations but you know the team uh you gotta you gotta gel with them the car's gotta be right for you and it's gotta be the right environment for you to kind of like flourish as a driver for lack of a better term um deforce racing i'm i'm in the usf or usf junior sorry championship with them this year um i got valkyrie ai is my number one sponsor on that car uh that was actually a big part of me signing with deforce was the deal with valkyrie so super lucky to have them on board uh and then in american f3 I got Future Star Racing, so they're uh, they're based in Indy. I have two-time Indy 500 champion Al Unser Jr. Uh, he's kind of like the front man for our operation, so he's been helping me out a lot this year. I've learned lots from him, so I'm uh, I'm really lucky to be working with two top-notch teams in two top-notch series. As we speak, June is ever so quickly coming to a close. In the USF Juniors, you're competing for D-Force and you are currently leading the championship. What do you attribute your success to so far this this championship? I mean, the team's been flawless. Um, Coming in... You know, the goal is always to win every race. And I mean, we went four for four to start the season. We had a bit of a rough time in Virginia last week, but uh, it's been a really good start. And it's kind of like my sophomore year, right? I raced uh, US Formula 4 last year and USF Juniors, it's a very similar platform. So I had a lot of confidence coming in as a driver. And I think that really translated into a results in the first few races and, you know, kind of led us out of the gate strong. 
Mac, talk to me a little bit about some of the things that you've learned or maybe new skill sets that you've developed this year. You're obviously competing in two new championships. The engine formula might be somewhat comparable with those two liter Honda engines, but what are some of the biggest takeaways that you've had from making the transition this year? And the USF Junior Series, uh, this year, because we kind of like took the championship, we took control of the championship right away. It's been a lot about my mental state as a driver. Uh, I've never really been in the position before where, you know, I have a super good start and and now I'm leading and I got to keep this championship mentality. Like, you know, in years past, you know, you've always kind of chasing or maybe the championship gap isn't that big. So it's like, you know, it's just you're going race by race. But for me, it's about seeing the bigger picture this year. Uh, And I'm working a lot with my team owner and coach David Martinez on that and making sure that all the moves that we make are super calculated. Like, you don't want to get complacent. You don't want to lose your edge. But at the same time, you always have to be thinking big picture and, you know, reaching for that $220,000 scholarship at the end of the year. In the spirit of true, professional, transparent journalism, I sit here talking to you, interviewing you while wearing a Mac Clark hoodie that I purchased <laughs> from your website. And I have to admit, some of the merch that you sell is pretty fantastic and certainly rivals a lot of that, which is produced by Indie and Formula One teams, maybe take a moment just to shout out for our listeners listening at home where they can check it out and what might be available to them. 100%. I appreciate it. Thank you. I got, I got mine on too. I always got to represent. But um, MattClarkRacing.com, we got to shop up. That went up actually late last year, probably when we uh, when we spoke. That's kind of when all that was going on. Uh, really cool project and uh, super thankful for the people that helped me with that. But yeah, the, the merch sales have been, uh, have been getting better and I see a lot of my friends in the halls walking around at school with my stuff. I don't know. It's pretty cool, man. When we were in the green room before the show with Mark Daly, you revealed something that I didn't know, which is that you have started coaching young drivers that are getting started or developing their skills in karting. Talk a little bit about how that started and what that experience has been like for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love coaching younger drivers. And I coach drivers of all ages, but I really like coaching younger drivers. I feel like it's super rewarding to see them make progress only if you spend a few days with them. Um, And it kind of started when I left karting. So every young driver usually starts in karting, you know, around seven, eight to like 12 years old. Um, So I graduated from most of my karting in like 2019, 2020. And since then, I've kind of gone back. I've gotten offers from teams that I used to race with, uh, gone back and coached younger drivers, uh, a lot of, you know, reviewing GoPro footage, a lot of data acquisition, helping them get faster, giving like general tips on racecraft. Um, And I mean, it's been a blast and I get paid to do it and I love it. So it's like a win, win, win. Mac, what have you learned about yourself and about racing from coaching other people? I think a big part of being a great racing driver, and I'm not saying I'm great, I'm saying in order to be great, you have to adapt to any situation and you almost have to be your own coach on track. Like, I'm not sure that most people realize how much thinking you have to do while you're in a race car strapped in, right? Like, every time I go through turn 10 on, you know, XYZ lap, you're thinking, you know, how can I make that corner better next lap? You know, did the car push a little bit on the entry? Do I have to slow it down? Do I have to break, you know, five meters earlier? Like small things like that. And I feel like coaching other people has almost like taught me how to coach myself better, if that makes sense. We talk a lot on this show about this concept of drive to survive that a lot of new fans have come into Formula One and Indy to a lesser extent through the Netflix reality program. 
Have you started seeing that at the grassroots level? Are a lot of parents, especially with COVID, knock on wood, slowly, slowly disappearing in the rearview mirror? Have a lot of people been introducing their kids to the sport? I think so. I mean, the the fields in Canada are really big like these days like there's there's a lot of young drivers that have aspirations to go to indy to go to f1 and i feel like it's really good for the sport you know the sport's getting more exposure on a a national international level at the top so like kind of like you said naturally it's going to start to trickle down and at the grassroots level you're going to start to get more people involved who you know they might want to just do it for fun or they might want to be the next lewis hamilton so it's interesting to see for sure after you were on the podcast last time we got a ton of really great listener questions Are you ready to dive in? 100%. So the first question then comes from Emmy, one of our very loyal listeners, and it's kind of two-pronged. The first part is, for many younger drivers in Formula Series, securing an F1 seat and then winning the WDC is the pinnacle. What is your hopes and dreams, and where do you see yourself in the next five years? And the second part is, what would you say to me, presumably as an F1 fan, to entice me to watch IndyCar? That's a loaded question. I like it. I like that question. (laughs) (laughs) For me in five years, um, the goal is IndyCar. Kind of like, you know, that last part of the question alluded to. Uh, I feel like I started a little late and kind of on the wrong side of the world and not with, you know, a ton of financial backing. So F1 for me was, you know, kind of out of the picture right away. Uh, And I'm totally fine with that. Like, I love IndyCar. I love the North American side of things. So for me, five years, you know, hopefully that'll that'll be like my debut year in IndyCar and maybe get a big contract, you know, small things like that. Hopefully be out of school, maybe have a, maybe have a wife, like, you know, know, little, little things, but big things. Like I kind of want it all to all fit together, like within that five-year timeline. I like that. I like the five-year timeline. Um, And as far as Indy goes, I never appreciated North American open wheel racing as much as I should have until I got exposed to it more. Because, like you said, like a lot of younger drivers and as well as like fans of Formula One and fans of motorsport in general see F1 as the pinnacle, and it is. But I feel like if you can expand you know, your, your views and start watching a little bit of IndyCar, a little bit of NASCAR, a little bit of dirt racing, like... For me, I love all all forms of motorsport, but the first time I actually watched like the Indianapolis 500 or even uh, an IndyCar race at Texas, like like oval racing, like now we're polar opposites. We've gone from F1 road racing to IndyCar oval racing. At at the like the center of it, it's all the same. So I mean, the racing is very good in IndyCar. I feel like there's very large fields. Like you said, it's growing in popularity. Bigger sponsors starting to come in. So. There's lots of reasons why I feel like IndyCar uh, is just as great as Formula One and should receive the same amount of attention. Uh, and not to mention, it, it's North American, right? We're supporting, you know, Canadian, American, Mexican brands. So that's that's kind of my my reasoning um, for loving IndyCar so much. And that's where I hope to be in the next five years. My friend, you are an exceptional advocate and salesperson for IndyCar <laughs> and the feeder series that lead up to it. Great job. Okay, the next question comes from Jen, and I like this question because I'm not totally sure of the answer, but Jen asks, when you are performing a track walk before a race, what are the types of things that you are looking for, and how does this inform the way that you prepare for a race and race on that specific track? Track walks are an amazing tool. Um, It can help you with a lot of different things. For me, if I'm returning to a track, you know, no matter whether I've been to the track 
once, twice, three times, or I've been there 50 times, I'm always going to go on a track walk. Because track walks are what helps you expand your knowledge as a driver. It helps you understand, you know, what's going on in the car while you're actually driving around out on the circuit. So, you know, you're going to walk along the track and you're going to pick up small little things. For example, like say you're walking through turn one and you see at the apex that there's, you know, the middle of the corner is a little bit more camber than the entry. That that means that, you know, I'm going to carry a little bit more speed into the corner, try to get down to that apex. And once I hit that camber patch, the car is going to grip up. So it's like tiny little details, even like if a curb if the curb in turn one is shaped slightly different than the curb in turn two, how is this going to affect how much speed I can roll through the corner? Like it's, it's small little physical things you can pick up to help you in the car as well as like general references. So like, you know, this looks like a good turning reference. I'm going to try this tomorrow morning because when you're doing like 250 kph and you stop the brakes, you want it to be in like a similar spot every lap, right? So uh, things like that. And then also for new circuits, you, you really just want to get a lay of the land. You want to make sure, you know, uh, you're comfortable with the layout before you actually dive into the race weekend. Can you think of anything that you identified during a track walk that may have been a bit of a surprise or did influence the way that you prepared for that race or even set up the car in advance? 100%. For example, when we were with USF Juniors, we were at Barber, I'd say with IndyCar actually, like about a, about a month or if not over a month ago. And Barber's a crazy circuit. I mean, they don't call it the Alabama roller coaster for nothing, like up and down and winding. And I think a large thing at Barber for me was you don't appreciate the elevation of a track until you actually walk it. Like TV cameras and onboard footage. And like, even when you drive in a car, it like doesn't do it any justice until you actually like on foot walk or run the track. And um, for example, turn five at Barber is actually like a really tricky downhill hairpin and the car gets like super light, like up on the nose, uh, when you're heading in there. So for me, walking the track was like, you know, oh my gosh, like I never realized how steep this actually was. This is going to be, you know, very different from say a traditional hairpin. And sure enough, when I went out in the morning for FP1, um, I changed the way I was, you know, breaking into the corner immediately to make sure the car wasn't rotating too much on the entry. So it's like little things like that where, you know, you're not expecting it. And then you go and walk the track and you're like, that really makes sense. I'm going to change what I'm doing and I'm going to be faster. I have to share this thought before we go to a break with less of thought and more a question. But when we were in the green room with Mark before the show, you made a comment about you, how you had to finish up some chores outside at your at your home today. I have to ask, as a young professional race car driver, what type of chores do your parents have you doing around the house? My dad still works me hard. I was taking out the garbage and then I had the, we have like this little two-stroke weed whacker. So I was like, like trimming the edge of the grass all along the perimeter. So my dad, my dad puts me to work on the weekend. I love that despite the fact that you're competing in these two high-profile racing series, your parents don't hesitate to keep you busy on your weekends off. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. 
Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton, and joining me today is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Mac Clark. Now, before we jump back into the listener questions, a plea to our listeners, a request, and ask for assistance. If you have the opportunity, we would be honored if you can give us a rating on Spotify or a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to both of us. All right, on to the listener questions. And this question comes from Crystal. Crystal asks, we always hear the term setup. What does this mean and how involved are you as a driver in this process? What aspects of the car can actually be customized or configured? I really like that question. I I, re- I love that question because, you know, like Crystal said, setup's kind of like this magical word that like, unless you're like super involved in racing, it's kind of like, it sounds like yeah. black magic, right? <laughs> like, it's it's kind of weird. Um as a driver, we're super involved in the setup process. And essentially what the setup is or, or what my take of, of setup is, is in open wheel racing in North America and in Europe, a lot of the parts on the cars are spec, meaning they can't be changed. So like the carbon monocoque is spec. All the suspension parts are spec. But there are areas of the car you know, par- that have parameters that you can adjust. So for example, um, you know, our suspension has dampers. So there's like four dampers, one on each corner of the car. That is all adjustable. You have like anti-roll bars in the car. That's all adjustable. All your alignment. So like caster, or sorry. Yeah, like caster, camber, toe. That's all adjustable as well. So there's a lot of different stuff you can do to the race car that will change the performance on track. Um, you know, giving it, and, and a lot of it, Racing drivers talk a lot about the balance. And the balance is, you know, whether you have more grip in the front or the rear. And that really matters at a racetrack. Um, So I I won't dive into it too much because, you know, I I don't think I could even explain it um, unless you actually, you know, do it. I'm pretty involved in the setup process. Each driver usually has an engineer that they work with. So it's, you know, we're definitely not the geniuses behind it. Like we just, we just put our helmet on and go out and drive. But we have an engineer that we're working with quite close quite closely and uh you know we'll kind of relay our feedback to uh to them and they'll suggest changes that we'll make for the next session all in effort to go faster so there actually is a lot of time found in the setup in race cars and it's not all just this magical word so i'm going to ask this question under the pretense that it's for the listeners but really it's for me can you describe the difference between camber and toe for the listeners Bracket, a.k.a. Hamilton Bracket. I think I kind of learned from a young age because, like, my dad made me so involved in the karting. Um, I was working on a lot of my stuff from, from a younger age. So, for me, I, I used my hands. Like, I was I was just using my hands a while back. And it's, it felt kind of awkward. But um, camber is essentially like this. So, you know when you see, like, stance cars on the road? Yeah, like, I'm 100%. not saying I'm a big... I'm not a big stance fan, but like I can, I can see where they're going with it. So camber is when the wheels lean in. So this is negative camber. This is positive camber. So they lean in or out. Toe is if your wheels are pointed straight forward, how much they point in or out. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. That's a perfect explanation. Then in the context of setting up your car, when would you dial in different types of camber? When would you go negative, positive, more neutral? So we almost never use positive camber unless you're on an oval. That's a little bit different. But essentially what negative camber is, is, you know, in a race car, when you're doing high speeds, there's a lot of weight being moved around. And you want 
to maximize your contact patch on the road with the tire. So if you have a right-hand corner coming up and you turn in, all the weight's going to go to your left. And if the left tire is angled like this statically, when you put load on it, it's going to kind of stand up. It's going to gonna go like this when you put load on. And that way you're maximizing your contact patch and you're going to have a little bit more grip. And of course, that contact patch being the surface between the aggregate, so the surface of the track, and the tire that is making contact under compression from the car. Great question, Crystal, by awesome the way. Awesome question. All right, next question. We get this from a ton of people. Uh, Brendan asks, can you talk a little bit about the role of simulators in driving? Are they becoming more important now than in the past? And what is the general cost of building an in-home setup that a young driver might be able to use? So sims are kind of getting more and more relevant in the professional racing industry you know when when COVID hit a few years back and everyone was kind of like locked up that's when it really exploded that's when i that's when i got you know serious about my sim um and technology's been evolving over the last you know two decades or so getting better and better and simulation now is better than it ever has been uh it's a very good tool for for drivers you know that are at the bottom of the ladder kind of like myself or you know guys that are racing indycar formula one or nascar like it's a very good way to keep yourself sharp off the track um and now with how realistic things are you know you'll go through turn one in the sim and you'll hit a bump at the apex and then you go to that track in real life and the bumps in the exact same spot so you can see how valuable you know the sim can be as a tool um and then in terms of like general cost there's crazy sim rigs and then there's like normal home sim rigs and there's anything in between so so cost can really vary you know you can go from a few hundred bucks to like hundreds of thousands of dollars like the pro guys have like in the race shops and, and stuff like that so it's it's a wide range um for me I mean, my setup's nowhere close to uh, to what some guys have, but I have a belt-driven wheel. I have low-top pedals. So in total, you're looking at a couple thousand dollars with the PC included, right? But it's uh, it's definitely a, a good tool for, for drivers off the track to, uh, to stay sharp. My wife just messaged me that uh, I may have gotten a comment wrong earlier. The two-liter Honda engines that you're rocking in your championships this year, are they forced induction or naturally aspirated? No, no, it is naturally aspirated. So in the USF Junior, your series we're two liter honda naturally aspirated and then in the fr series we actually have the engine like right out of the honda civic type r so it's the type r engine with a dry sump on it but that is not naturally aspirated that has a, a nice big turbo on it how is racing with the turbocharger is the turbo lag pretty predictable and easy to manage it was definitely hard to get used to i'd never driven anything that like wasn't naturally aspirated so you know when i first got out there i mean the the fr car it's got, I think, 315 or something like that to the wheel. Um, and it's, it's a light car. It doesn't sound like a lot, but because it's a light car, it's a lot of power. Uh, and initially, it was definitely hard to get used to managing the throttle. If you just, you know, mash the gas, you're going to end up in trouble really quick, especially if you're not on brand new sticker tires. So I definitely had to learn how to, you know, change kind of like the shape of my, my throttle curve. Like if you if you drew a curve, it's it's definitely not linear. Like it's it's kind of like... It goes up, and then when you start to hit the turbo, like it goes a little bit down, and then up again. So it, you have to be very gentle with your uh, with your right foot for sure. One of the things that makes Formula One so remarkable is that while they have turbos, there is no turbo lag because they use the MGAUH to keep the turbine spinning. But in a road car or most 
motorsports cars or racing cars that have a turbocharger, the, the turbine which spins the turbocharger, which is what compresses the air, it is basically fed by exhaust gases. So it takes a little bit of time for that turbine to start spinning up. So what we're describing here is when you are in a naturally aspirated car, the the torque curve is pretty predictable, but in a car that's forced induction has a supercharger, probably less of a supercharger, but more a turbocharger. It takes a little bit of time before that turbo spools up and starts sending that compressed air into the engine. So it's kind of a, an unpredictable torque curve, but that's a, a beautiful explanation. All right, next question. Joseph has a follow-up, which is what software do you run on the simulator? Is it off-the-shelf software that anybody can get or is it more professional software that is available only to motorsport teams? So I use at home, and, and most drivers use this as well. It's called iRacing. And essentially, it's an off-the-shelf thing. I think you buy your membership. It, it works like on a, on a membership basis. So you pay like, I think it's like 100 bucks for the year. Um, and iRacing is kind of like, you know, the most realistic sim package out there uh all the tracks they have on iRacing are like laser scanned so they'll go out there and take like a laser scan of the actual track um so it's 100 accurate they've done a lot of work on the car models so it's uh it's really close to driving on the actual track and it's 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 nice it's an off the shelf off the shelf purchase so anyone can buy it for their sim rig at home and you know you can literally load into online lobbies with like roman grosjean or or uh, max verstappen like it's you meet a, a wide variety of people and, and some professional racing drivers if you're on there. Can you think of any examples where you've experienced a track through iRacer first and then subsequently done a track walk or raced on it? And if so, how accurate, how close is iRacer to the real thing? 100%. So before I go to any track, whether I've been there or not, I'm always on the sim. Um, and I'll, I'll use Barber as an example again. I'd never been to Barber in real life. I'd never driven it, but I had done on the sim. And, you know, when I first got there uh, and did the track walk, and especially after I did my first few laps, I'm like, man, like the sim's like really close to real life. Like what I'm doing on the sim is 100% like applicable to what I'm doing in real life. So it's a really big tool. The next question here is from Trevor and he asks, what do you eat on the day of the race? What do you eat before the race? And what do you eat after the race some guys love to eat before they race i not not one of them at all like if it's within like an hour and a half of race time i'm not touching anything like you could put like a stack of like candy in front of me and there's no way i'm like taking like one little you know like chocolate bite or or anything like i i hate eating before i drive i will however eat a lot afterwards um I'm not too specific with my diet. I would like to be like definitely once I go to university, I actually want to try um, going pescatarian because I have tried like, you know, little kind of short areas of like vegetarianism, if that's even a word. I said that wrong, but um, and I did kind of I kind of enjoyed it, but I really want to change my diet as a driver um, to make sure, you know, I'm at the top of my game. Victoria asks, what steps are left in the ladder before you eventually reach Indy? Fingers crossed. I love that. It kind of depends who you ask. <laughs> Racing in North America is kind of complicated because there's like almost two ladders to IndyCar. So there's like the FIA Formula One ladder, which is like F4, F3. And then there's the Road to Indy ladder, which has like, f- I think, four steps in total than IndyCar. So you can kind of go you know, cross between the ladders and make a step down, make a step up from each side. So right now I'm racing in uh, FR Americas, which is essentially USF3. So that would mean 
the natural next step would be Indy Lights and IndyCar. So I'm only like two, I guess, ladder steps away from being in the show. But people could argue that I'm also racing in USF Juniors, and that's at the bottom of the road to Indy. So I still have three more steps to go until I'm at IndyCar. So it's, it kind of depends on, on how you view it and how quickly you move the ranks as well. In terms of timeline, um, it's kind of like that, that five-year thing. I'd like to be, you know, hopefully in the show, give it like four or five years. No rush. The next question comes from Sarah, and she asks, and I'm sure we've asked you this before, but who are your favorite indie drivers? We can probably guess who one of them is because we were fortunate enough to have him on the show recently. And who are your favorite F1 drivers? And finally, why? Well, I had James on the show, and that was awesome. I definitely tuned into that episode. Um, I mean, he's I've been working with him closely the last year. Uh, he's part of kind of like my, my mentorship, my management group. Um, so, you know... He's given me little tips and tricks and lots of advice over the past, you know, eight, nine months. It's really helped me out in what I've been doing as a driver, um, you know, not just on the track, but off the track as well. I'd say my favorite current IndyCar driver would have to be, I'm going to go with like the older guy. I'm going to go with Scott Dixon. And I love Dixon because, you know, we talked about kind of the championship mentality earlier and Dixon has so much like poise he's always aware of the situation going on around him and if he has you know a p5 you know driver car combo that day he'll bring it home you know p4 p5 he won't push anything too too far uh he's aggressive when he needs to be but he really understands the big picture and i mean that's why he's won so many championships for those of you at home maybe not super familiar with scott dixon he is a 41 year old racing driver hailing from new zealand he won the indy championship in 2003 2008, 2013, 2015, 2018, and 2020. A phenomenal talent. Mac, what about on the Formula One side? Ooh. On the F1 side, um, I love Danny Ricardo, mostly for his attitude. I was fortunate enough to meet him in Vegas a few years back. Um, I was there racing myself, not partying. Um, but he's so like happy go lucky off the track but he's extremely driven to do well he has this super positive attitude that you know i try to carry as much as i can with myself because everyone has bad days at the racetrack but i mean if you're not having fun then why do it you met daniel ricardo that is amazing was it something that was planned was it more happenstance how did that moment come to pass it was a bit of both so the manufacturer in karting that i ran for um called uh it's birel art um so they're actually a lot of the F1 fans and people that might watch F2 will appreciate this. So ART has a, uh, a Formula 2 team, and uh, they're actually partnered with Burrell, uh, and that's the go-kart manufacturer. But Danny was creating his own line of carts, and he used Burrell to do that. Um, so he was actually there in Vegas with the factory team that I was running for, and we all got to individually meet him, shake his hand. He signed autographs for us, and, and he was amazing. What did the two of you talk about? What did you ask Daniel Ricardo? I was unscripted. Like I just wanted to beat him. I wanted to get my picture taken with him. Uh, we talked a little bit about like you know how I was doing a specific weekend and, and how much he loved. Um, it's called Scusa Super Nationals. It's the massive go kart race in Vegas every year. It's like one of the biggest in the world. And how much he loves Super Nationals. And it was uh, it was definitely a cool conversation. Hopefully, I can I can meet him again one day. Max, since we last spoke, Formula One announced that we are going to Vegas. What are your thoughts on the Formula One circus going to Sin City next year? F one is clearly you know growing at a rapid pace in in North America, and you know the North American market is 
expanding quickly uh, for Formula One. So it's good to see them adding, you know, more American, maybe not a Canadian race in there. Um, but it's uh, it's it's nice to see for sure. I'm I'm really happy about it, and I think the atmosphere in Vegas with an F1 race will be insane. Almost like almost like the Miami GP. The Miami GP atmosphere was crazy. Andy asks, "What are the very first steps required?" to get your children into karting. Ooh, I mean as a parent that's a that's a doozy. You're you're looking at <laughs> you're looking at a lifetime of racing. Um for me my first steps were literally there's I started at a local kart club. So that that's kind of like, you know, the first step is you find the local karting track, the local karting club in your area. You go talk to them and they're going to point you towards, you know, uh dealers, distributors, maybe people that are getting out of it. Um, I bought my first cart. I went 50, 50 with my dad. I paid half. He paid half. And it was just a guy who was getting out of racing and, you know, we got everything we needed to go racing. We got a go-kart. We got tires. We got like three engines, uh, all for like two grand. Um, and that's how we started. So it's kind of about finding like that local pocket of grassroots racing, uh, making sure you get in there. And I mean, once you're, once you're inside the motorsports community, everyone is always super happy to help you out. Reza asks, we often hear that some tracks are good and some tracks are bad because overtaking is or isn't difficult. What are the characteristics that make a track good for overtaking? And second question, what global track are you most hungry to experience yourself? Ooh, I'm going to answer that second one first. That's such a tough choice. Um, I'd say, you know, the more traditional answers would be like, you know, Spa or Monza, maybe Silverstone, Suzuka. I'm going to go with a like an off-brand kind of like weird answer. And I'm going to say Bathurst or uh, or Mount Panorama, as some people know it, in, in Australia. And is it Australia or New Zealand? I think it's Australia. Don't. Don't come at me if you're Aussie and it's it's not there. Um, but it's this crazy like uphill, downhill track through the mountains, like lots of walls, very close to the circuit, very challenging. And they do the Bathurst 1000 there every year. And I've done it on iRacing, and I mean, it would be incredible to race on that circuit. Um, yeah, yeah, your gut instinct is right. It is definitely oh, it is. an Australian nice. track, nice. and it is New South Wales. On to the first <laughs> part of the question. Talk a little bit about what makes a track great from an overtaking or racing perspective we hear so much criticism of tracks like monaco because it's difficult to overtake and it becomes a parade or a procession talk a little bit about what makes a track really great for racing i think bad and good are a a relative term you know like there's good tracks for testing and there's good tracks for racing and that's i think that's kind of what people are getting at um and I mean, I, I still love Monaco personally because it's so historic. Like you can't take Monaco off the calendar. Um, but that's my opinion. Some people might not like that. In terms of making a track good for o- overtaking, um, a lot of modern Formula cars and drivers struggle with what we call aero wash. So you know, when you start getting too close to the car in front, the air in front of you is disturbed. Your aero bits in the car don't work as well, so it's hard to get close. It's hard to overtake. Therefore, a track with you know kind of less corners and more straightaway more draft that's that's when overtaking starts to get easier and that's when you see you know really exciting races so for example on the f1 calendar that would be somewhere like i mean where's where do we always have a good race like monza monza there's oh it's it's always a good race because you have those super long straightaways there's lots of overtaking uh, opportunities baku baku has the super long back straightaway right so there's there's I mean, the podiums there, the last like three, four years have been insane because of the action it generates. So uh, certain circuits are definitely more like racing prone than others. But uh, I mean, no, 
no racetrack's necessarily a bad track. It might just not be as good for uh, for the overtaking action. Let's take one more quick break, pay some of those proverbial bills, and we'll be right back with some rapid-fire questions and probably another plea for our listeners at home to give us a rating or a review. We'll be back in just a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton, and we are just wrapping up a lovely interview with friend of the show, Mr. Matt Clark. So the first question comes from a friend of yours, and the question is this. Please say hi to Mac for me. He's doing a fantastic job in the States this season. Ask him if he misses F-1600, and ask when he's coming back to do another race in that championship. Oh, it's Megan. Megan is was it Megan? Megan? Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, she was awesome it. to race against. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, my friend, you nailed it. It's Megan Gilks, the youngest race winner in the history of the W Series, a future intern at Aston Martin Formula One. But you got to answer the question: Is this something you plan to do? Make a cameo in that series? I do miss it because it's uh kind of like our our track question that we were talking about before the break. Formula 1600 generates such good racing. Like, it's it's nose to tail. It's pack racing. It's awesome. Like, it's all down to the last lap. Um, I think Megan's actually running in the uh, Canadian Grand Prix support series. Like the yeah, yeah, race. man. Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, that that's awesome. I wish that I could do that because I want to. But, I mean, if I ever get the opportunity to go back with my old team, Burton West Motorsport, and compete in one of those races, I'm in 100%. And as a reminder, Megan is also an engineer like yourself. She is working towards her degree in aeronautical engineering. Now, we have some critical, critical questions for you coming up here. And the first is from a mutual friend, another mutual friend of ours. And this is some hard-hitting journalism here. But when you play Mario Kart, which character do you choose? Yoshi, no questions. Like, hands down. Yoshi, always Yoshi. No question. As somebody that's not a big Nintendo person, I'm kind of curious, and this isn't a criticism, but what's the appeal of Yoshi? Why Yoshi? Dude, honestly, like, I wasn't much of a Nintendo person either. Like, I never had a DS or anything. Like, it was just kind of like Mario Kart or the Wii. Like, the uh, what's that? I, that must have been the original Mario Kart, maybe. Um, But for me, Yoshi... I don't know. He's just a cool guy. He's laid back. He's chill. He's a green dinosaur. Who doesn't want to be a green dinosaur while they're racing? And not to age myself here, but I can promise you that Mario Kart for the Wii was not the first incarnation of Mario Kart. Mario Kart originally (laughs) debuted for the Super Nintendo way back in the early 1990s. Now, next question. What is what is the last movie that you've seen? I haven't watched a movie in a while. Um, Thinking back, probably... Hotel Room, Race Night. I think it was 8 Mile with Eminem. Not a bad movie. It's so funny that you talk about 8 Mile. I've actually been revisiting a lot of the Eminem 
the M&M catalog recently, and while some of it certainly hasn't aged well, he's clearly a very talented individual. And I will take this as a recommendation to go and revisit, well, not even revisit, but watch 8 Mile for the first time. Yeah, for sure. No, it was it was a good movie. I liked it. What are some of the albums that you've been listening to pre-practice, pre-qualifying, pre-race this year to get you pumped up? I'm not a big album guy. I'm kind of like, I'll throw like a lot of one or two or three tracks off an album into my playlist. But one album that I have been big on is uh, Jack Harlow's new album. I really like that album. I think there was a lot of a lot of good tracks on that and that's kind of been my in my like race day rotation. Nail Tech is definitely a banger, that's for sure. Uh, Nail Tech was a good song. I enjoyed it. If you were shopping today, and I'm not suggesting or inferring that you are, but if you were shopping for a really cool car under $100,000, what would you be looking at? gonna go with the subaru the subaru like the, the wrx because i mean the fact they discontinued them makes me so sad and um when when i was younger i barely remember but my dad had one and i've always loved those cars so i'd say i think uh, a subaru impreza wrx like like the sti very very nice car sporty and if you get it done the right way a lot of fun but you know driving responsibly so my friend i I feel like you've been stalking my old school social media because I used to have a Subaru WRX STI. I bought the first one that ever came to North America. So the first year the Subaru WRX STI was in North America was 2004 and they didn't bring the international engine over. So globally it had a two liter um, boxer four turbocharged for North America. They brought over a two and a half liter boxer turbo, which had 300 horsepower and 300 foot pounds of torque. And my God, do I ever regret? I grew up and I had to get an SUV and I sold it. And I wish I could find it today and restore it. But WRX STI, man, I didn't think you were going to go in that direction. And kudos to you because that is one hell of a driver's car. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, I really like that car. And uh, like I said, my dad had one. So it kind of holds a special place in my heart. What color was your dad's? It was. <laughs> my mom always makes fun of me. It's like this dumb uh, urban steel. It was urban steel. It was like, it was gray. Oh. But it was... Uh, <laughs> PlayStation, Xbox, or both? PlayStation. Hands down, PlayStation. iPhone or Android? Uh, I've always had an iPhone. I'm going to go with iPhone. I think I'm a big iPhone guy. And finally, sir, what are you watching in those brief moments when you aren't studying, you aren't practicing, you aren't walking the track? What are you watching to pass the time? My one big thing with like TV or streaming service is I'll always like flights. That's that's a big thing for me. So like I'll download like two or three shows. Um, for me right now, I'm like a pretty big Star Wars nerd. So the new Obi Wan show that's that's kind of my thing. Um, as well as my girlfriend got me hooked on this show that's a little bit older, like later two thousands. Uh, it's called Bones. I think I think it was big like when it first aired, but that, that's what I'm into right now. Before we let you go, obviously want to give you an opportunity to shout out your teams. Also give you an opportunity to talk about where people can follow you on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Appreciate that. Um, underscore Matt Clark on Instagram, MattClarkRacing.com. That's my website. That's where you can find my racing schedule, my store, any updates. You can also sign up for the MCR Club. That's like monthly newsletters. So you're always be in the loop on uh, you know what's going on and on my career path. Uh, Matt Clark on Facebook, underscore Matt Clark again on Twitter. Um, you know I'm racing American F3 with DeForce Ra- or with uh, Future Star Racing. Sorry, uh, this year in 2022, as well as uh, USF Juniors with DeForce Racing. So a lot of stuff going on. Mark, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Thanks once again, my friend. For everybody listening at home, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy this series. 
do us a solid. We would be honored if you can give us a review, a rating on Apple Podcasts. If you can head over to Spotify and give us a review there or a rating, that would be fantastic. And like I said, it means the world both to myself and Mr. Mark Daly. As you're listening to this, it's probably the end of July. We have a slew of great Grand Prix coming up. Stay tuned. And just remember that during the summer break this year, we are lining up some great content, some great special guests. So you've got something to listen to while hopefully you get a little bit of downtime before the summer resumes in September. Once again, thank you so much for joining. You can follow us on Twitter at Skidaria F1 Pod. You can follow us on Instagram, apparently, at Skidaria F1 Pod as well. And you can, of course, find us on your favorite podcast app. But as I know, most of you use Spotify or Apple. Once again, thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like some gum and my song's gon' break through like a running back